0: I'm Elena and this is Utah, the Wild Wacky West, where you can get all of your weird history and legends specifically about Utah. We'll be covering topics like Brigham Young, the monstrous bear Old Ephraim, the shocking Mountain Meadows Massacre, Highway 666, and much, much more. Hi everybody, this is Elena and this is uh, Utah, the wild, wacky west, and today we will be covering monsters of northern Utah. So, we'll be covering two different monsters quote unquote monsters um, Old Ephraim and the Bear Lake monsters. So, first, we'll cover Old Ephraim, and actually, Old Ephraim was real. Um, But he has become so notorious that he's kind of passed into legend and he's a very common campground story for um, Boy Scouts and other kind of campers, especially in Loken, because that's where he was located. So Old Ephraim was a grizzly bear and he's rumored to be the last grizzly bear in Utah. So his original name was actually Old Three Toes because he had a deformity on his foot. So everybody knew it was him even if they didn't see him because his tracks were so unique because he only had three toes on one foot and also the tracks were huge. So his name, Old Ephraim, actually came from P.T. Barnum P.T. Barnum wrote a story about another grizzly bear in California, and it caught on, and they renamed Old Three-Toes to Old Ephraim because of that. So he roamed the Wasatch Mountains during the early 20th century, and his range was from all the way from Weber County, Utah, to Soda Springs, Idaho. But eventually, he settled in Logan Canyon, and he kind of just stayed in that area. He was about 10 feet tall and 1,100 pounds, so he was a very big boy. Um, It's rumored that he killed 50 sheep in one night, and he was every sheep herder's just worst nightmare because he would kill so many sheep. And he'd also kill, like, other livestock, like cattle and deer if he could get them. But mostly it was sheep. And actually, um, on November 9th in 1911, a bear hunting party was led by former Utah governor John C. Cutler, and they searched for him for days and days, but they only ever saw his tracks. He was very elusive, and it was it kind of stunned people how elusive he was because he's so big, but they just never found him um, until one day in 1923 he did actually get killed um, by a sheepherder, William Frank Clark. So old Ephraim was eventually killed August 22nd, 1923. And actually, Frank Clark, that's what he goes by, is he started the hunt in 1914. So he took years to get old Ephraim. Um, But eventually he did. He got caught in a tree trap that Frank had set near his camp in Logan Canyon. And actually, before Clark even got him. He was caught in the tree trap, but he clawed down the 8-inch diameter tree that the trap was tied to and ran. But he couldn't run very well, of course, because he had a 14-foot chain wrapped around his leg and a 23-pound bear trap clamped onto his front paw. So, he couldn't run very well, and Clark was able to catch up to him, and he had to fire all of his bullets into him before the bear dropped. And the story goes that he shot him in the head and um, blew his brains out. So over the years, Clark has killed 40, had, had killed 43 bears in the 34 years that he was a sheep herder. And actually, Old Ephraim was his last by choice. Because at the time, he really wanted to get the bear, of course, because he was eating his sheep. But reflecting on it, he actually had a lot of remorse for killing for killing old Ephraim. And there's actually a quote by him from Deseret News, and it says, quote, I sat down and watched his spirit depart from that great body, and it seemed to take a long time. But at last, he raised his head a mite." gasped, and was still. Was I happy? No. And if I had to do it over, I wouldn't kill him. I could see the suffering in, in his eyes as he tried to climb that bank, end quote. So he did end up regretting it just because he, was, he said that while old Ephraim did kill sheep, he would always eat them. He wasn't just killing them and then leaving their bodies. And he... He only tried to eat what he needed, but since he was such a big bear, he needed a lot of sheep. Um, But yeah, so Old Ephraim died, and Frank Clark burned and buried his body at the spot that he killed him, which was up, again, in Logan Canyon. And years later, his remains were actually dug up by Boy Scout Troop 43. No one really knows why. They dug up the remains. They just decided to one day. Um, but they dug up the remains and they took the skull and sent it to the Smithsonian. And um, then they piled stones over the rest of the remains as kind of a burial ground for old Ephraim. And actually, eventually, a couple years after that... A large stone monument was made in Logan Canyon over the pile of bones where he stood. And it's to honor him. And it's the monument is six miles up Temple Fork Road. And it's high in the Wasatch Mountains. And it has two inscriptions on it. One of the inscriptions is, quote, this rugged four and one-half-ton native stone is symbolic of a giant grizzly bear called Old Ephraim, who ranged this area for many years, killing sheep, cattle, and game, and was trapped, shot, and buried here near, or er, and buried near here, August 1923, by Frank, by Frank Clark of Malad, Idaho. Standing upright, he equaled the height of this monument, 9 feet 11 inches, and weighed about 1,100 pounds. Smithsonian Institute, Washington, D.C., has his skull, end quote. And at the bottom of the monument, there is a poem by Nephi J. Bott, and it goes, Old Ephraim, Old Ephraim, your deeds were so wrong, yet we build you this marker and sing you this song. To the king of the forest, so mighty and tall, we salute you, old Ephraim, the king of them all. And that's the end of the poem. And actually, so his skull, to kind of finish it off, his skull was sent to the Smithsonian, and it was identified as a grizzly bear, and he is um, one of the biggest grizzly bears that they have reported Um, to date, and for a while it was displayed in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., but they actually sent it back to Utah, and so the skull is actually now displayed in the special collections section of the Utah State University Library in Logan, Utah, so you can actually go and see the skull for yourself, and you can actually hike up to where his burial ground is and where the monument is. But everything I read said it was a very, very tough, um, long hike. So, if you're looking to do that, be prepared for a long day. And that, that covers Old Ephraim. And next, we're going to talk about the Bear Lake Monsters. And they're kind of short. There's not too much about them. Um... But they were considered, so originally, the original story, like the original sightings were first, it was the Shoshone Native Americans who had legends about them, and then when the pioneers came in the 1800s, they had sightings, and their sightings said there was multiple monsters, but eventually it just dwindled down to there was just one monster. And they're considered the Loch Ness Monster of Bear Lake, but it was actually, they were actually seen and written about years before the Loch Ness Monster from Scotland was told worldwide. So there was, they didn't like get the idea from Scotland because no one knew about it at that time. But, so, Bear Lake is a natural freshwater lake. It is located between the Utah and Idaho border. So, it's actually, like, split between half of it's in Utah, half of it's in Idaho. And it is 109 square miles. And it has a depth of 208 feet. And you can actually scuba dive to the bottom and, like, see the bottom. And it is been called the Caribbean of the Rockies because of its turquoise blue water. It's supposed to be incredibly blue because of um, limestone deposits underneath it. So the sightings date back to the Shoshone Native Americans who lived there at the time. They lived by the lake for years and years before anyone else had gotten there. And Uh, it was first reported by pioneer settlers in the summer of 1866, and there was 10 different creatures mentioned in total, but, so the Native Americans, they only had one creature as well. They only said that they were one creature, and they would tell people who, the the settlers who came to live there, they warned them of a creature that had captured and carried away Native Americans while they were swimming in the lake, but they ha- it hadn't been seen since the buffalo inhabited the valley, so it had been quite a while uh, to where it moved out. So they just wanted to warn them, but they believed that it wasn't there anymore. At least they hadn't seen it anymore. And they described it to be a serpent, with legs that were about 18 inches long and it could crawl out of the water a short distance to grab things and then scuttle back into the water. And it's rumored to spurt water upwards out of its mouth kind of like a whale. Um so the pioneers uh, like the pioneer sightings were all they were a whole bunch of sightings all documented Documented by a Joseph C. Rich in the um, Deseret News that they had during the time, so he had several different accounts. Um, he had one from July nineteenth, eighteen sixty eight, where it was it was a Thomas Slight and J. Collings, as well as some women that were with him and they said that they saw a creature that was about 90 feet in length and it swam incredibly fast, faster than anything they'd seen, even faster than a locomotive. They believed it, it was swimming about a mile a minute. And then after they saw it pass by, they saw a they saw more creatures. They saw creatures that they saw three more large creatures that were about the same size as the 90 foot one and then six smaller ones that they said were about the size of a horse and then in early july 1868 there was another sighting by mr sm johnson and he said he just saw a head and a neck he was by the like by on the coast um he was on the beach and he saw a head and neck pop up out of the water, and its ear—it had ears or bunches on the side of its head. That was, and the head was nearly as large as a pint cup. And it would throw water from its nose or mouth. And the the head—he said that the head wasn't bobbing or moving; it was stationary. So he believed that the bo- his body must have been incredibly long, and been standing on the bottom of the lake in order to have its head remain that stationary. So, and then after that, there was also three women who saw a similar beast that was very large and swam much faster than a horse could run on land. And these, these were really the best documented ones. The other ones were very short and basically listed all the same characteristics. Um, and these first sightings birthed the legend of the Bear Lake monster. And eventually, as the years passed on, it switched to just one monster. The sightings uh, that um, Thomas Light and Jake Hollings, how they said there was multiple, he, it kind of just dwindled down to one and witnesses have compared the, the creature to a walrus without its tusks or a large reptile or crocodile-like creature. And actually, the latest report was in 2002. There was a businessman, Brian Hershey, who was boating, and he says he saw two humps above the water's surface, and then they disappeared under the water, and he saw, like, the saw waves ripple underneath and um, he felt his boat move and then he saw the humps again reappear right by his boat and he turned around and he said he came eye to eye with a monster that was dark green, had slimy skin, and beet red eyes. And actually some people theorize that there could be some truth to the story. It hasn't been proven, of course, and no one actually knows. Um, Unlike old Ephraim, who was real, these guys are not real and they're not proven to be real. But some theorize that it could have possibly been a a dinosaur-like creature or some sort of giant sea lizard that was left and had been um, kind of caught in the lake from the time that Lake Bonneville had covered basically the almost the entirety of Utah. So, there could be some actuality to the legend, but nobody's actually seen anything. And actually, a citizen was rumored to have captured a young member of the monster family near Fish Haven in 1871 and it did actually get reported in the Salt Lake City Herald and it was said to have tr- it's sorry it was said to be 20 feet in length with a mouth large enough to swallow a man without any difficulty and that it propelled itself through the water with its legs and tail and the fishermen who caught it had actually set up a trap specifically to catch the beast but there was no pictures and no one actually knows what happened to the creature so if he did catch it nobody knows if he just let it go again or if he ate it (laughs) which would be really weird but nobody knows so but even if the monster doesn't exist Idaho and Utah have both capitalized on the on tourism attractions for the creature and they have even today they have a 45 minute scenic boat ride that is to look for the creature kind of like how they do in the in Scotland about the Loch Ness Monster but during this boat ride you'll see a whole bunch of different views the It'll take you around the lake, and during this time, they'll actually tell you folk tales about the Bear Lake monster. And the towns, like some of the towns in Idaho around the lake, they have parade floats that they make. They've had contests for little kids uh, to make a monster or like to make a costume. And then they'd walk in the parade with their costume. And there was actually a Bear Lake Monster Winterfest where people dressed up and they went into the lake in the winter to try and catch it. And it was like this whole big festival that they had. So, even though there's no real proof that the monster exists, there is... It's still fun. Like... Even though, even though the monster might not exist, people still have fun with it and just try and make the best of it. So, yeah, those were the monsters of northern Utah. Sorry it was kind of short, but there's not a whole bunch about them. But I thought they were really interesting and wanted to talk about them. So, thanks for listening. Bye.